This is the We Spin Recipes podcast with Andrew Apanov. Hello, hello everyone, Andrew Apanov here. Although you are not going to hear my voice a lot during this We Spin Recipes podcast, as today's episode is prepared by my colleague Corey Wolf. You will hear the full introduction in few seconds, but I just want to add a couple words uh, about this particular interview, as uh, I myself am very excited about it. It's the one with Michael Feebach himself, the founder and CEO of Fame House. Mike has been doing amazing things with uh, DJ Shadow for many years, and uh, if you don't know the range of artists that Fame House uh, works with, please make sure to check out the link in the show notes. I myself have been following uh, Mike's and Fame House's work for many years. Uh, there is a number of amazing case studies and uh, for example we've been talking about the Pretty Lights case study on uh, the data music blog for quite a while and the the work is uh, just uh, very impressive and uh, in this interview you will hear quite a bit of real practical insights and advices so I encourage you to listen to this uh, podcast episode and I pass the word to my colleague Corey here. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new edition of the We Spin Recipes podcast. My name is Corey Wolf, and today we'll be speaking with Mike Feeback. Mike is a CEO and founder of Fame House, a digital marketing company based in Philadelphia. Mike has worked with clients such as DJ Shadow, Tiesto, Pretty Lights, and more. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, Corey, thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. I know we just introduced you a little bit, but do you think you could tell us a little bit more about who you are and, and what you do? Sure, uh, I'd be happy to. And again, thank you for having me here. I've been in the music business now for about 10 years. I got my start running a little indie record label out of Philadelphia back in 2003, 2004. It was called Philosophical Records. I moved out to California when I was 20 years old, about to be 21, to work out there, but also to, to finish school. As I was finishing school, I got pretty lucky and I landed a job after a few interviews working for DJ Shadow running his web store. During that time, it was right kind of in the, the heart of the social media explosion. It was really when MySpace was the king of the social media space. And my job quickly turned into being much more than just running a web store because I was the kid who knew how to use all the social media platforms. So I kind of became Shadow's digital marketing manager and his merch guy and his web store guy and kind of you know, all, did all of those things and worked with his manager to manage his digital business. I worked for Shadow for five years. I finished school at night out there while I worked for Shadow. I toured off and on with Shadow as well over that period of time. I got to go all over the United States twice. I got to go, or I should say North America really twice. I got to go all over Europe. I got to go all over Australia. So I had a really unique experience working for him. And in a lot of ways, he was kind of my mentor. And you know, as I was working for him, I became more and more involved in digital marketing and digital strategy and social media management. And other artists started to notice and reach out to me to help them too. And that's really what started Fame House when I saw this kind of gap in the industry and this need for digital strategy and digital management and social media management. And I started Fame House and brought Shadow on as a client and started to bring on other clients. And that was about three and a half years ago. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Didn't you guys win a Webby for Shadow's website? We were nominated. We did not win. Um, oh. but it was cool to be nominated. We were up against some other really great websites, and we didn't win. But that was definitely one of the projects that kind of 
catapulted my career at that time. I got to really work hand in hand with Shadow, his manager, but also the label. And we created a, a really innovative site at the time, also working with Shadow's longtime designer, Derek Daly. And it was a very innovative site at the time. And not only from an aesthetic perspective and branding perspective, but also from a business perspective, because it was the first store to independently license content back from a major label that the artist was under contract with and then sell it direct to fans. So it was a pioneering site in the you know explosion of the direct to fan era. So that was a very, very cool project. Yeah, that, that seems like it. You said that that kind of spurred, um, it kind of started Fame House for you, right? And got you started in digital strategy. I think maybe some of our audience might not really know specifically what digital marketing is. I mean, I'm just kind of wondering what that means to you. I mean, I know there's definitions, but what does that really mean to you? To me, digital marketing is, I mean, at its most basic kind of definition, it's the digital form of marketing. And the reason that it's, you know, that a lot of people don't understand it or don't feel like they know it is because it's new. It's a new thing. You know, when you compare it to more traditional forms of marketing, digital marketing is, you know, in its infancy, kind of, when you compare it to traditional advertising. But I think, you know, obviously it means a lot more than that to me. I think digital marketing is the way to connect directly with consumers in a relevant manner during specified times in which they are likely to act. Right. And, you know, that's extremely powerful. When you're running a print ad in a newspaper or a magazine or you're putting a billboard up on the highway <laughs> you've got, or you're running a television ad, You've got no idea, really. Well, you have some idea, but you don't really have any idea who's looking at it, when they're looking at it, how they're looking at it. And digital marketing is completely changing that, you know. And, and now it's all about hyper targeting and you know relevant and contextual content delivered at certain times of the day. And you know, there's a lot of nuance now, and it's much more complicated because of all of the possibilities. But it's really also exciting in a lot of ways and also makes it a much more interesting uh, industry, I think, to work in. Yeah, definitely. It's funny that you mentioned the billboard or something like that, the ad. I was recently working with an artist and we were talking about different ways to promote and things like that. And he decided that he wanted to do some Facebook advertising. So we go through the whole thing or whatever. And he's an older guy. He's a piano player. And we go through the whole thing and we start to promote. This specific thing was a post that we were promoting. And uh, we were probably five days in. And I guess he it was tough for him to really understand the difference because in his mind, he was thinking about, okay, if you take out an ad and say, I don't know, New York Times or something, you know that X amount of people are definitely going to see it. But when it comes to digital in this case, digital advertising, it's a completely different story. And like you said, things like figuring out the best times and things like that. So it was funny that you brought that up. Are there any like specific apps maybe that you've been using recently that or that you've used for a while now that, that you think are really helpful when it comes to marketing online and digital marketing? Yeah, there's a lot of different technology that Fame House is using and it's changing on an ongoing basis really based on you know what's happening and what's new and who the artist that we're working on is and what the campaign is. You know, obviously we're working with all sorts of advertising management platforms, whether it's directly on the social media platform or we just started working with a company 
called Unified, which is a social media ads dashboard. So it basically enables you to manage your advertising on Facebook and Twitter across all the accounts that you manage in one window, which saves a lot of time. You know, I'm all about efficiency and saving time and operating optimally as a business because if we save, you know, if each person in our business saves, you know, one minute each day, that's 50 minutes a day. That's almost an hour of company time that we save in a day, you know, and that's just a microcosm, obviously, of how much time you can save with each of these apps that you use. So, you know, that Unified is one for ads management, for social media, kind of organic post management. We use a technology called Falcon that enables us to manage our posts and the images and the copy and optimizing the images and the copy that go out and then looking at the data on the back end. It also enables us to do social listening so we can track hashtags in real time and track activity around keywords. So that if we're managing social for an event or there, we have an artist that's on tour, we can start to see what's happening when around certain hashtags and keywords. So those are two examples. There's a lot of new things emerging. We're doing a lot with retargeting as well, you know, pixeling customers and remarketing to them across the web with ads. We're working with Shopify a lot on the e-commerce side of things, Gumroad on the e-commerce side. You know, we're always working with kind of open-end development on WordPress, a little bit on Drupal. We got some really good web developers that can build on those platforms and, you know, make them not look like WordPress on the front end, which is always key. So a lot of different things. I mean, Famehouse provides a very wide array of services and and there's a lot of different people now in the company that have a lot of varying core competencies. So to me, it's all about choosing the right technologies for the people that you have and then obviously for the clients. And then back to my original point, you know, making sure that we're being efficient and that we're operating optimally so we're not wasting time. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's funny. That Did you say Shopify? Is Shopify the one that I'm thinking of that's the... Um I know. Is that the also a POS, like a point of sale system? Yeah. Is that, is that Shopify? Shopify is um, basically a full service shop e-commerce system that enables you to quickly and relatively inexpensively get a custom looking store up and running and then manage it and market it, et cetera. And it's, the, it's one of the systems that we've been using for the e-commerce stores that we manage. We manage a few of our clients' e-commerce shops. Yeah. And we build them and design them as well. Part of Famehouse's ethos as a company from the beginning has been leveraging the best of breed of technology. So we don't build our own platforms. We don't. Some of our competitors in the social media space have gone and built their own social media management dashboard. We never wanted to do that because, one, we'd have to go raise millions of dollars to do it right. But two, why would we want to do that when there's this great company called Falcon or there's other ones out there too, Hootsuite, whatever, that has way more money than we would ever have for that specific need, right? So it's, you know, leveraging the best of breed. And that's just one example. You know, we work with tons of technology. Shopify is another great example. We could go build our own e-commerce platform or license a technology and customize on top of it even which is, you know, to some degree, the same thing as building your own technology almost with e-commerce. And it would cost us hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars a year. And it would also, you know, we'd have to pass that through to our clients and the artists would end up having to pay more out of their pocket to have an e-commerce shop versus something like Shopify or Gumroad, where we let them handle the technology, they build it, and we just leverage it and utilize it and know how to manage it and know how to market with it. And um, it really is, it's back to the same point. It's efficiencies. You know, it's, it's figuring out how 
to make business efficient. In this day and age when there's so many products, there's so many tools, there's so many things you can use and you can do and there's all this pressure too to kind of build it yourself I feel like from a technology entrepreneurial standpoint and I just never really got it. It's like if I'm going to go build just a social media management dashboard and just focus on that as a business, that's a totally different thing than me running a digital marketing agency for the music business that has to do all of this. If we start to focus on one technology, we're going to lose focus. Yeah, I think it's easy to lose focus, especially if there's something... Andrew Apinov says it all the time to me that there's tools already out there, and if there isn't, there will be soon, you know? It's funny that you said that as well. Speaking, I mean, a lot of the things that we talked about so far, like Falcon, it's Shopkeep, right? Shopify. Shopify. And Shopify are things that you guys use now. As far as tools or maybe strategies, are there any strategies that you think the DJs who are just starting out can use right now, like listen to the podcast and go try out right now? Are there any tools and or strategies that come to mind when you think of that? I mean, all of the ones I just mentioned are pretty accessible and very inexpensive. So I would recommend the ones that I just mentioned. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I didn't just mention that I feel like would be good for up and coming artists to leverage. I mean, there's a lot of new things emerging. There's a lot. You know, there's a lot coming in the near future, I think, that's going to cater to niche audiences. I think that we're seeing the dawn of kind of like the digital platform or social media platform that caters to the guitar player or the DJ or, you know, the rock star. Or I think that's kind of the era that we're getting into. So I think from a strategic standpoint, I would recommend the artists out there that are listening to this to continue to read and stay on the cusp of what's new and what's emerging. And, you know, there's a lot of great things to read, like, you know, Music Ally is great, Digital Music News, Hypebot, all of those various channels stay pretty good. They stay up to date pretty well on all the new technologies. And the second you start to see something emerging that's getting some noise, that's a niche audience that pertains to you and what you're focuses as an artist, I would hop on it and start to leverage it. And, you know, and sometimes if you get in early with these companies, you can really get them to help you. I guess the best advice I can give is is stay on the cutting edge of the new emerging platforms and technologies, read a lot, and don't be shy about reaching out to the people that run those companies to try to see what they can do to help you. I mean, you never know what someone might, you know, maybe they'll ignore your email, but maybe they'll actually like your music, listen to it, like your music and respond. So, Yeah, speaking of new ones, have you uh, seen or heard anything about Show.co? I did see something about Show.co. I think it was written up recently in one of those three that I just mentioned. I can't say that I'm well-versed or know a lot about what they're doing. Refresh my memory. What is it again? It's digital marketing tool. For all intents and purposes, it's a landing page. But there's a specific link that you can use. And, of course, there's a single call to action. Basically make uh, creating a landing page a lot simpler to market tours. Whatever you're doing. The most recent one I saw was for a video. A new video was released. But I read um, the CEO. He said something about the whole purpose is to make it as frictionless as possible. So pretty much they make it super easy to you know convert fans into facebook followers into you know paying customers but they've set it up actually a way that is pretty simple and and again there's a main call to action yeah i'm looking at it right now this looks i I do remember reading about this and it's cheap it's very cheap it's like 30 bucks a week at its most its highest cost so 
Yeah, this looks really cool. I mean, exactly. Things like this that are emerging, that are low barrier to entry, low cost, that are disruptive, you know, that's how you can kind of make a wave on top of making great content and great music. Those are the two things you have to do. But you get in early with one of these technologies and you leverage it correctly, or you leverage an existing one in a different way that no one's done before. That's what makes noise. Yeah. I mean, Show.co seems uh, like a pretty reasonable tool and um, I'm excited to see what they do. But again, that, that all turns into actually converting fans into paying customers. I think, weren't you on a panel last week or two weeks ago? I forget. What conference was that? But I'm pretty sure you were on a panel last week, right? Yeah. It was about a- monetizing social and turning fans into customers. Yeah, the digital media conference in New York. Yeah, that was a cool, good panel, good conference. There's some great people on that panel with me. It was great to be sitting next to some of those people and hearing what they had to say as well. But yeah, we we were discussing monetizing social and how kind of your digital assets can be leveraged. And it was an interesting discussion. It seems like I would have loved to have been there. It seems like it would have been a good panel. But to kind of switch it up a little bit, wanted to get your opinion on recently there's been a lot of talk. And I think Famehouse even, I think you guys shared on your Facebook a little bit ago about a thing called windowing, which you know about. But how windowing has been used in the film industry for a little bit now and how a lot of how the music business is looking to adapt to that and i was just wondering kind of what what you thought about that whole process and how that would affect marketers make their digital strategy because it seems as though it's worked out fairly well at least for the film industry but i'm just wondering what it's going to look like as far as music goes yeah, I mean, I think it's something people have been doing more and more with the, you know, growing prominence of the streaming platforms that, you know, and it's definitely something that we've done a bunch and we will continue to do. To me, the key is if you're trying to map, it depends on what the goal is of the campaign. You know, I mean, there's some people putting out records now that literally do not care how many records they sell. They just don't care. They want to put out records, but they make their money from touring and licensing and they and merch, and they don't care about how many records they sell. So, you know, the strategy around the album release becomes less important. It really depends on what your goal is. Now, that being said, to me, the number one way, like the goal obviously in any business is to maximize revenue. So these people, these artists that are putting out music, it's not, I shouldn't say they don't care about how much music they sell. I should say that they're not focused on how much music they sell because they're focused on using music as a promotional driver to increase their touring and increase their licensing and merch. So on the topic of increasing their merch and using music to increase their merch, and then also on the topic of maximizing their revenue because any business wants to maximize their revenue, the no-brainer thing to me that not enough artists do is pre-orders. I do not, you know, once the album is out there, whether it's windowed or not, once the out there to here, it is gone. Everyone has it, you know? I mean, it's once it has leaked or once someone gets a hold of it, it is a lot harder to maximize your money, you know? Yeah. So because there is, you know, you're now actually some of these artists are generating real revenues on Spotify and some of them are generating real revenues on on iTunes still. So, and even some of them are selling a lot of vinyl and, you know, some still sell collector CDs. There's still money being made off music. So to maximize your revenue, to me, it's such a no brainer. Every record that is a real record that has a team around it 
you know, you would hope that most artists that can sell a relevant amount of music would have a proper team to pull it off because it's not that hard in this day and age with all the tools that are out there. Looks like you could do it with Show.co, the one you were just mentioning, to do a pre-order. It's, you know, and I don't know if Show.co has e-commerce. Maybe they don't. But to do a pre-order is the absolute best way to maximize your revenue. You sell merchandise and you either sell early access to a stream and or download slash physical product before the music is ever out. So no one can share it yet. You can't listen to it anywhere. And it harbors all of the hype into actual sales before the record's even out. And it's so funny to me that people don't do it more. I mean, there's more and more people I think are starting to finally catch on to it. But to me, that is the number one no-brainer of putting out a record in this day and age is that you should do a pre-order. Yeah, I think a lot of indies do that very well. Yeah, more, more. Even like Rhyme Sayers comes to mind, Doomtree comes to mind, Rapper Sapient from uh, the Northwest. They do pre-orders all the time, and uh, it seems like it's pretty successful in bundling with the pre-order as well. Yeah, yeah that's what you have to do. Yeah, yeah so they're it killing it. Shadow for, you know, now almost 10 years, eight years or so, we've been doing a Shadow, and he does great with it when he does it. Eminem, we had a good pre-order for. So, you know, it's, but yeah, you're right. There's a lot of indies doing it, and but still not enough. There's a lot of indies that aren't doing it, too. Yeah. And there's a definitely a good amount of majors that, major label releases that aren't doing it. But I think that you're starting to see more and more. Like I said, I think people are starting to catch on to it. Well, I just did one. I mean, he's not like a major label artist or anything, but I did one with an artist. His record just came out last week. And um, oddly enough, the pre-order did very well. And I was actually surprised, to be honest, because I didn't didn't really expect that many. But the pre-order did very well, and it increased sharing, actually from the people that did, as far as social media goes, from the people that did pre-order it. That's the other reason why it's a no-brainer. It increases everything. It increases sales. It increases chatter. It increases, you know, social amplification. It really does kind of, across the board, create a bump. So that's probably the biggest one that I would think that people should be doing more. Yeah, they do very well, and that's a great point. The other thing I would say is, creative, you know, social media and digital campaigns to amplify the record and the content. I think that, you know, there's a lot of creativity. There's a lot of things that you can do around a record release that are creative, you know, and that can get people talking. And, you know, I I really push everyone at Fame House to do this as much as possible because, you know, the right idea at the right time can break a record. So, you know, we've had some wins with that, but it's something that I always one fame house to continue to strive to do because it's easy to work an album campaign and fall into the traps of doing everything kind of with a checkbox list. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you got to step away and like think really creatively and, and how can I amplify the message and the content of this record differently than what's been done before? You know, that's hard to do, but that's really important to me and important to my company. I know that Pretty Lights, that record was free, but that Pretty Lights did that whole thing with BitTorrent. And I know you guys, Fame House, and you did a case study. I remember reading about it. But I think that that's kind of an example of what you're just talking about is being creative. And I think a lot of people were surprised when you did that with BitTorrent and Pretty Lights. And I guess like my main question is, how did that come about? How did you even come up with that idea? I mean, because at the time, that was brand new. That was something that really hadn't been done too much before. 
Yeah, it really hadn't. I, um, right place, right time, hard work. That's the key to this. <laughs> you know, I met a couple people that worked at BitTorrent out in San Francisco and I started talking to them and I immediately saw the opportunity. I mean, that took me about two seconds when I sat down and they started telling me about what the reach was and how many people download a bit of torrent if it's pushed through their channels, you know, and they push it. I was just like, holy shit, this is like an enormous advertising campaign without spending any money, you know? <laughs> so I knew that it was something I wanted to do, but the hurdle obviously was finding the right artist and finding someone who was up for it. And so that's what, you know, I brought it to Pretty Lights as an idea and you know, it's him to decide whether or not he wants to do it. It's his content. He owns the music and, you know, it's his business. But I advised and consulted on it from a strategic and marketing standpoint. And we came up with the campaign together, myself and Pretty Lights' team. And um, we worked with BitTorrent and we made it happen. Yeah, and wasn't all his stuff free, too? So it wasn't like it was... Yeah, he gives all of his music away for free. That's correct. Yeah, so it wasn't like it was like a huge jump for him. So that seems like he would have been a pretty good artist to do that with anyways. Because I know he's like always out on the road, right? Yeah, he tours a lot. And he's definitely an artist that, you know, has always, he really was the, I think one of the primary innovators of use my music content to build my touring and other revenue streams, the other parts of my business. Um, it's the pay it forward model. Was that the pay it forward model? It's, the pay, it's like, you know, if you treat your fans well, they'll treat you well. And it works. Artist to fan relationship, man. Yeah. I saw that DJ Shadow, was probably about a month or so ago, released some new music. And I noticed that, at least when I saw it, it, it was a full track on SoundCloud. Yes. Any particular reason why he did it that way? You know, we worked with Shadow and his label, and... um we really wanted to get the new music out there to as many people as possible, you know, and we, we really wanted to get people listening to his new record. And it wasn't about how many records can we sell. It wasn't about driving a merch bundle. This one was just about going back to the goals and what we were talking about before. This one was a campaign to promote his new music. And there will be more campaigns in the future for him, I'm sure, that have different approaches and different goals but this one was about reaching new listeners and engaging existing listeners and i think it was pretty effective i mean the, on soundcloud it's got i think 600,000 plus plays or something when you add up all the different tracks from the ep and the different channels they were posted on and maybe even more than that now it's, it's probably closing in it's going to close in on a million i would say within the next month which you know was great numbers and it was a cool campaign do you uh, use kind of, as far as that goes in streaming and things, do you kind of use SoundCloud as your, your go-to a lot? Or are there other services that you use to stream as far as, well, for the artists at least? Yeah, we use all sorts of services. I mean, there's a ton out there, you know. I mean, but I think the main one, the primary one right now for free streaming is SoundCloud. You know, obviously they're changing their model and I think things are going to evolve quickly there. But, you know, that's been the primary place to post tracks for promotional use. So that's been a great asset. But we work with Spotify a ton. We love Spotify. We love RDO. You know, we like the other streaming platforms a lot as well. Well, like you said, SoundCloud is kind of going to have a, uh, a new business model, which I think they've pretty much already started to roll out. Do you think that's going to have any major effects on you know, both independent and major label artists, do you think you'll kind of see them 
drop off from using SoundCloud as much and kind of just focus on certain streaming services like RDO or Spotify or something like that? You know, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. You know, obviously with Apple purchasing Beats, that's a whole nother, you know, I forgot to mention Beats. I love Beats as well. I think that the Beats product is amazing and I'm really interested to see what Apple does with it because I think it's an incredibly built product. But it'll be interesting to see, man. Yeah, I think it all depends on if they execute it correctly. SoundCloud's an amazing product and they've done such a good job at making it so easy to spread. You see SoundCloud everywhere. I was an early adopter of SoundCloud. I've loved SoundCloud since 2008, 2009, whenever it was that they started, that they launched it. I think it was 2008. So yeah, I've always loved it. I think it's a great product. Yeah, I'm a big fan of it because of its simplicity and how it just, it always works. I mean, it doesn't matter. You don't have to worry about certain platforms or if they're mobile or, you know, it works no matter what. And it's always been reliable to me, so. I mean, I think that if they do it correctly, they could be really successful with the ads. Just don't alienate the people that brought them there, which I don't think they'll do. But I'm just saying, like, it's easy to do that, I think, sometimes, especially if you're switching from being no ads at all or or whatever the revenue stream is there. If you're switching from no ads at all, you know? That's what's ironic about it, though, because... You've got the one side of the equation is these artists saying, oh, I don't want ads on my music now. I don't, you know, and then there's this other spectrum and I don't want to be alienated to your point. There's other side of the spectrum. that's like, I want to get paid for my content. You know, there's no middle ground between those two things. Unless you want to just live off of subscriptions and charge people subscriptions and only let them stream the music if they're paying for it. But isn't that the same thing as downloads basically? Yeah. It's like, then nothing's changed. You know, there's no disruption. So the new model is advertising against media. It's just the new model of the internet. It's not just music, it's everything. And that's been the model in most media for a while. You know, television has always been like that. And there's premium services, which there will always be premium services, but that are more subscription based. But, you know, that's what you you do if you don't want the ads, you pay, you know? So... Yeah, it really is an interesting dynamic and an interesting uh, point right now and where all of this is headed. But I do love SoundCloud and I do think that they're very well positioned to, to be successful. But I also love the other ones and I think that they're all different. You know, they all kind of serve a different need. Yeah. So. All right. Well, I mean, we'll wrap this up. I just wanted to ask you real quick because it happened recently and I, I would like to get your opinion on it is the, um, the whole U2 and Apple thing. Yeah, uh, this just popped into my head right now because you brought up Beats and Apple and the moves they're making. I know they've had a long-standing relationship with you two for you know however many years now, but the internet kind of went crazy when they saw you two on their on their phones and in their devices and stuff. I don't know. I guess just real quick, what your opinion is of that the whole way that they did that and their strategy behind that? I haven't seen the updated metrics on it. Do you know what the updated numbers are? How many people actually like listen to it? Oh, uh, I don't know. I haven't seen. All I know is last time I saw about it was that Apple specifically put up that link so they could remove it. And then there's, there was like all these things popping up. Like, just, Yeah. Yeah. I've been following it to some degree. I mean, you know, whenever there's this big kerfuffle over something like that, I don't really get into too many details. But, you know, I thought it was a good idea. I feel like it was executed, maybe not the exact right way. I mean... I think they should have made it a little bit more of an optional thing. Well, Jay-Z and Samsung did it a year ago. Yeah. The same type of deal, and it was optional. If you wanted it, you could go get it. Yeah, 
Exactly. Yeah. There were issues with that one too, though, right? It was privacy issues or something. But, you know, I think that the problem is, is these campaigns, when they go out, they're such big campaigns. They're so big, you know? And it's like, if a smaller artist did the same thing, you know, and reached a smaller amount of people with a, a smaller service, you know, it's basically just about the magnitude of it. It's like, it's solely because it's Apple and it's U2 and it's that big of an amplification. And I think because of that point, I kind of, you know, sympathize a little bit on the marketing and artist side of it because it's really hard to foresee how people are going to feel about it. It's really hard to, first of all, preempt all of the issues that are going to arise with a campaign that big because there's always our issues, right? But then the second thing is that it's really hard to know why would so many people be pissed off at free music? You know, that's what they were thinking, probably. Well, everyone's getting free music. Why would they care? You know, why do they care if it's in their library? What does it really do to them? Yeah. But I think people like to complain. People like to cause issues. People like to talk smack online. And that's what happened. People just talk smack because they like to. Turned into this big issue. So, I mean, I think it was a good idea for a campaign, but I think it could have been executed differently. You know, but hindsight's always 20-20. And I also feel, you know, I sympathize a little bit with the artists and the marketers that worked on it. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, it it was a great idea. Maybe they could have just done it a little bit differently. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you uh, for doing this. And I'm sure everybody that's going to be listening will enjoy uh you know some insight from somebody in your position any closing thoughts or anything that you want to say or talk about no i just want to thank you guys thank you Corey and we spin for having me and um it's a great podcast and thanks for tuning in for all those listening absolutely all right thank you mike thanks Corey. you have been listening to the we spin recipes podcast Learn how we can help you improve your music career at wespin12.com. We spin